episode six of the Racing Insiders podcast. In this episode, we're talking to our first series director on the show, and that is Vicki from the Rush Racing Series in the Northeast. And I uh, really had a fun conversation with Vicki. I really hope you enjoy it. So uh, let's go ahead and get started. I'll see you on the other side of the intro. Race fans, it's Wesley Outland of Fox Sports. You're listening to Racing Insiders Podcast, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes to tell the stories of the people behind the brands in motorsports, because everyone has a story. Here's your host, founder of CrateInsider.com, e-com coach, winning motorsports marketing, and marketing video guru, known as the girl who sells race car parts, Kate Dillon. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. I'm really excited to introduce you to my friend, Vicki. And will you tell us how to say your last name, Vicki? Emig, E-Mig. With a long E. Emig. <laughs> yeah, well, I, yeah. de- I definitely didn't want to get that wrong. And so I thought it was better just to have you <laughs> tell us. But um, to That's tell- fine. Great. Well, thank you. And I, as long as I've known you, I really wasn't exactly sure. But I, you have yeah. such an amazing career in racing. Of course, you are the series promoter for the Rush Racing Series. But even going farther back, you, you ran Mercer Speedway and... Also, you, um, you, you're in the Women in Racing Award from the Northeast Dirt Modified Hall of Fame, so you're a Hall of Famer. But I'd really love to back up and find out, how did you even get started being around racing? Well, uh, I always tell people, and I think anybody that knows me knew I was a daddy's girl. And my father, uh, I always said he taught me two things, how to haul garbage, which was our family business for over 40 years, and how to love racing. And we also owned a car, and uh, he was a car owner and campaigned that car through Western PA, Eastern Ohio, and all other uh, areas for over 40 years. So the one thing uh, that my dad did is he never left his little girl home. Uh, I mean, I look back and I think that, you know, when he'd be getting ready to go to work in the mornings, he started with a dump truck in the refuge business. He'd tell my mom when I was just a small infant, very small, get her ready, get her diaper bag ready. I'm taking her with me today. And he would take me and he took me all the time, you know, in his trucks when he was starting out. And then, of course, come the weekends, he loved racing at first as a fan and he would take me again as a very small child and lay me on the bleachers. And uh, and then as uh, he became a car owner, uh, you know, all them years that he, you know, was running and chasing them uh, cars around all the different racetracks, he took me. And I often think how many guys in the prime of their life or younger, young guys, would take their, their baby daughter or their little girl always with them. It would have been much easier for him to uh, leave me home, but he never did. And through uh, being with him through all them years in racing, and I've only ever, I only ever missed uh, watching our car run one night in 40 years and uh, back to the fact that he always took me. So that obviously instilled my love of racing. Wow. And so for you, I mean, every race is really it's it's like something you're sharing with your dad, even though, he, unfortunately, he's not here with us anymore. Yeah, my dad passed at just 54 years old. And now, you know, I'm older than that. And I think back, wow, you know, but boy, did Bill Amick stuff a lot of life in 54 years and make his mark. And, uh, and I will truly tell you, everything I do to this day, I do to make that guy proud. Uh, because I always said I had the best teacher in him. Uh, I never went to college. I worked across the hall for him or from him 
for a few years before he passed away in the refuge business. My father could not read, write, or spell. Uh, really? He knew how to work hard, and he was good with people. And uh, I always said I'm so thankful I spent him four years, uh, you know, that I might have been in college with him because it wouldn't be that much longer after that that he was gone. Well, and then from there, I understand that you took over the, the refuse business. Yep, I have worked in the same office since I was 17 years old. Uh, my father, because he obviously couldn't read, write, or spell, would pick me up uh, my senior year of high school at lunch. I was able to get out at noon, and he'd bring me to this office where I've been since I was 17, uh, and we just muddled through it, you know, because my mom used to help him with the books and things like that, and they had been divorced the summer before my senior year. That's how I ended up here. And I just, you know, learned as we went, you know, I, I did the best I could to help him. And uh, and then again, he passed away at 54 and he left me with three trucks and a, a good, you know, customer base that he had built. And when I sold uh, in 1999, I was running uh, 12 trucks and uh, had really, really grown that business. Wow, you quadrupled it in nine years. I mean, that's, that's crazy. Well, and I've seen a couple Mm -hmm. of those pictures on Facebook, too. And so when we talk about a refuse business, it's not just it's not just crappy old dump trucks. I mean, I've seen some (laughs) of the pictures. And I mean, you did it with class, beautiful, beautiful trucks. And even the dumpsters looked good. And, and they were immaculate. I always teased that I brought a woman's touch to the garbage <laughs> business. And in fact, uh, EMIG Disposal, of course, was our company name. And our positioning statement was, we're big on clean. And my stuff going up and down the roads uh, was immaculate. My dumpsters were immaculate. Uh, even my big roll-off boxes that you see out at construction sites that tend to get pretty beat up uh, as they're out in the field uh, they were always, you know, really sharp, you know, uh, bright yellow, four-color logos. And, and uh, they were my moving billboards, and it certainly did pay off. So, Absolutely. Yeah. And then I, I can see it because I'm, of course, into marketing and branding and all of that. But, but tell us how you then took that experience and then you, you brought it over into running a track as a promoter and now to a series. How did some of the things that you learned yeah. in Refuse, you know, kind of translate all the way through? It's kind of funny you asked that because I have uh, been asked and I have spoke at the national, you know, RPM promoters workshops, both in Reno and, and Daytona over the years about a lot of the different things that I did do at Mercer Raceway Park through my tenure there. And I said it was probably people still once in a while I'll bump into some promoters here and there that'll say, oh, I remember you. Because when I started my presentation, I uh, flashed up pictures of my refuse trucks at a racetrack promoters, you know, meeting. Mm-hmm. And I started my uh, my deal with, you know, everything I learned in the rubbish business, I applied right to the racing business. Because you still have customers. You have in the garbage business, I had commercial, residential, bag customers, roll-off customers, etc., in the racing business, I, you know, I still have racer customers, you know, uh, track, you know, tracks and, you know, everything still applies. You still have customers and it all comes down to service, no matter what you're involved in. So it was true. So many things that I learned in the refuge business, they applied right over into the racing industry. Well, yeah, I would agree with you that you have, of course, your direct customers in the refuse business, you know, like the construction companies, but then also just the passersby. And it and it also gives them a better respect for that construction company. 
you know, your your image is rubbing off on that construction company too. Well, and yeah, it just they, and that's what happened. I mean, you know, I could go back and tell you stories about how I went in and got very large construction jobs when I was just starting out in the roll-off business where some of the, you know, the, you know, nationwide companies would be in there. And I, I could always hear my dad tell me, don't ever be afraid to ask. All they can do is say no. And I'd go into some of these places that might have been using a BFI or a waste management, you know, and I'd introduce myself. And long story short, like you say, I ended up getting these big jobs or even the smaller jobs because, like you said, them contractors, as an example, they wanted them good-looking boxes setting on their, you know, setting at their job sites and uh, not when or the dumpsters when we dumped and they weren't leaking all over their their parking lots and you know what I mean. So, mm-hmm. so that that was true. You know the way I went about it that certainly did help. And and then moving into the racetrack business, I mean, we kind of reinvented and uh, kind of did things a little bit differently there. Uh, we knew we had a good racetrack in Mercer Raceway Park. Great Saturday night racing, long history. I wasn't worried about that but I uh, had to compete against another track that was only about 20 mile away and on the same night and uh, we kind of reinvented ourselves into everybody says you know well we're a family or oriented facility it's a you know the racetracks bring your family but they don't then take that next step to really want to make them families always come. And we did a lot of things, a lot of different promotions, like we'd bring the Rugrats in or we'd bring SpongeBob SquarePants. And, and you know, I'd work through with cable companies and stuff like that, and they'd advertise it. Well, people come to the racetrack on Saturday night to bring their kids to see them characters. You know, the kids were screaming to get to the racetrack to see SpongeBob. Well, once we got them in there, I knew we could keep them and coming back periodically, you know. So we've always been very proactive on on how we market. I always say whether it was, I said, I figured if I could uh, market garbage, Mm -hmm. I could figure out how to market racing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and how how did you think of an idea like that? That's, I mean, that's super inventive to, you know, did you contact the cable company, just call them up or like who thought, how did that go? We were, my signature at Mercer Raceway Park, other than our great racing, was our $25 family pass that admitted, this is years ago before other tracks were doing it, admitted mom, dad, and up to four kids. Wow. So when you would open my brochure to see what was going on at Mercer Raceway Park every year, you would see a schedule of awesome hardcore race events, but then there would be a panel on that brochure that was specific to family events you know, mm-hmm. and maybe eight or nine different family events that coincided with that family pass. So, you know, and I just started to try to be creative and, you know, got involved with Armstrong Cable up here who, um, you know, had the ability. Uh, they obviously broadcast Nickelodeon cartoons, you know, so one thing led to another. So they would bring these characters in and uh, and in turn I would give them back marketing via, you know, billboards and just everything else, you know, it would be a trade. But then they would also push it via their cable stations too through Nickelodeon. I can't even tell you how much I love that because it, it's stuff I talk about all the time with marketing. And of course, I'm talking to racers and about involving with the community. And I mean, I, it, there's, there's just so many things I love about that. We 
are proud to work with FK Bearings. FK Bearings Incorporated is a world-class leading U.S. manufacturer of rod ends, spherical bearings, custom-engineered bearings, and related products. Established in 1983, FK Bearings brings over 35 years' experience to the industrial and performance racing and off-road markets. Fregola family-owned and operated, they proudly put their name and reputation into every order they ship. FK also has the largest ready-to-ship inventory in the industry, as well as stocked warehouses in Indiana and California to service anywhere in North America. Visit FK Bearings at fkrodends.com. And you started your own series. And it wasn't just crate late models. Uh, we've developed a series rush into like five different classes uh, plus an asphalt series. So it kind of, it really la- allowed us to spread our wings and really get at it under the way I wanted to develop this program. Well, and that's something that I've seen grow because, of course, I started Crate Insider in 2014, and I've known you since right around that time. And just seeing your continued growth has just been so amazing to watch. I mean, you, you're the first one to really have a, a series just for the wingless sprints with a 602. And, and of course, you have the Sportsman Modifieds. Of course, the late models is what you started with. And then, I mean, right. I thought it was really unique that you even crossed over into asphalt. That's completely unheard of. Tell us about how, how did that happen? Well, I say that everything that we do under Rush, it everything applies across the board. I mean, our technical program, my, my group of authorized rebuilders, my sponsors, so it, to us, it's all the same, whether we're, you know, watching over a GM 604, 602 engine in a sprint car, a late model, and a modified on the asphalt. It doesn't matter. Everything that Rush does can apply, you know what I mean? And it can go anywhere in the country, the, the program that we've developed across the country in any class, you know, uh, it, it doesn't matter. And, and I completely agree because that's how I am with Crate Insider as well. You know, of course, that's for me, the unifying factor is the engine, you know, and um, just have right. slightly different ones with the cars. But um, with that, I, the one thing I really respect about your series is the tech and that you are really when it comes down to it, you have you you really enforce your rules for one for one. And I love seeing that. Has there been some tough times uh, where you were maybe worried by disqualifying some people that it might hurt you in any way? Well, I am very proud of our technical program. And I always say without it, that is my heart, you know, and I am surrounded by such tremendous people. Uh, you know, Don Blackshear, the Pace Performance Circle Track developer, has been a great friend of mine for many years and now works, uh, you know, Sweeney Chevrolet Pace Performance is my title sponsor. So obviously Don's there to help me. Uh, Travis Harry, who's been my competition director for years, just tremendous, does a tremendous job, travels with me probably twelve to 14,000 miles a year not just at touring. I mean, we travel from Canada into the mid-Atlantic, mostly on surprise tech visits. And then, of course, my group of authorized rebuilders, which we I could probably, instead of 25 roughly authorized rush rebuilders, have 125. But mm-hmm. we're very, very, you know, very stringent on that group. I'm just not, you know, continuously adding people. I mean, it's a pretty tight group. And I think what I'm proudest of with my group of authorized rebuilders is a lot of times, um, you know, engine builders will compete against each other. But because the fact that I don't put them on top of each other and different things like that, 
you know, there's become a commodity between them. You know, they become mm-hmm. friends, you know, and, and they're networking together. And, and we just got such a tremendous system from top to bottom. And uh, But then you can have all that, but then it becomes mine and Travis's responsibility to get out in the field and do the teching. And honestly, of everything I do, I mean, in the winter, I love, you know, growing and seeing how much I can bring to this program via sponsorship and different uh, contingencies and stuff from my racers and so forth. But in the summer, I truly love being on the road with Travis. And, and again, we do a lot of surprise visits. And yes, there has been some really, you know, tough times out there. Uh, they're not always pleasant. But I can assure you, you know, there it, it's consistent. The teching's consistent from top to bottom. And in the end, my, most of them guys that I've, you know, stumbled across that maybe, you know, there have been issues in the long run, you know, we, I, I want them to come back eventually and race with us and we just go on down the road. You know, we don't dwell on it. We just make our decision and we move on. I think that's great. And everybody respects you for it. I mean, everybody that I've ever talked to gives you lots of respect for that. What advice would you have when, you know, I know that there are some track promoters out there that that really um, struggle with that idea of enforcing rule and, and and you hear those stories. I don't even have any specific examples, but I'm sure you've heard those stories, too. Would you have any advice for some for someone who struggles with well, that? Under the rush banner, you know, we'll we'll be dealing with over 30-some tracks this year, you know, from Canada down into the Mid-Atlantic. And we provide our tech, you know, the tracks tech people with all the, you know, pertinent materials. In fact, I'm in the process now getting all the tech books out, all the supplies, you know, for fuel and tires and engine confiscations and different things that we've developed in our system. But to be perfectly honest with you, we want those tech guys to be, familiar with whatever you know what's going on but if there becomes any issues any suspicions or this or that you know that something might be going on we really tell them you just give us a call you know and and let us know what's going on we might not get in there that weekend but we're going to get in there and most of my promoters what i think that they really enjoy the most other than all the championship programs and what we're specifically doing for the racers is they like the factor, like, we love Rush because they do it all. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They're the bad guy. We don't <laughs> have to, you know, I don't want them getting in the middle of that. You know what I don't? I really yeah. don't because, as you know, crate racing and the way that it's teched and everything, it's kind of a it's kind of a very intricate process and a specialized type thing. And most tracks are very lucky to, to get somebody to commit to every week, and then they got to worry about all the different divisions. So, you know, we don't want to see them get in the midst of, of something crazy. We just want them to keep us informed. You know, now they can do miscellaneous tech, you know, body stuff and checking for seals. And But if there's some stuff that's really starting to get a little, you know, you know, people just don't know. I mean, they're going to call us and we're going to go in and take care of it. Well, and I think that's a huge relief because, like you said, then you can be the bad guy. They don't have to be the bad guy or look like it's favoritism. Right. You know, there's... You know, it's racing, so we're going to have lots of different right. th- different yeah. things going on there. Now, let's let's it go back. It goes back yeah. to that garbage business, and we are servicing our promoters by providing that, taking that off them. You mm-hmm. know, yeah, that's and that's great. I mean, are you looking to continue to expand your region? Because how many? I know you're in Canada as well as several of the United States. So, what states are you in now? Oh, geez, uh, I can't <laughs> even think now. Ohio, Pennsylvania, New York, uh, uh, any 
crate weight model tracks. It's in Canada, Delaware, Virginia. Um, you know, what am I forgetting? Maryland, <laughs> you know, wow. I, I can't think here, several states. And, uh, and again, yeah, I mean, I'm aggressive and, uh, we are very healthy right now. I'm very blessed at all of our weekly tracks are, and, and that's my key too. I mean, we got a tremendous late model touring series, uh, just really, really full of tremendous events, but, I focus first and foremost on my weekly racetracks because if they're not healthy, then Rush isn't healthy. And if you look at my championship programs, uh, you know, probably 75% of our different programs are geared around the weekly racers, not the touring guys. Again, we got great events for our touring guys, a point fund for them, et cetera, et cetera. But a lot of what we're doing is to keep our weekly racetracks healthy, and they are. Our weekly car counts, you know, across the board are healthy. And, and you've also made some bold moves in that supporting that weekly racer kind of a concept is you you made some bold moves with having a spec fuel and having, of, of course, spec tires. We're used to that in many. But, you know, that was, yeah, I think you got some pushback on that right. having a spec fuel. But tell me about how that's worked out, because that's been a couple of years now, hasn't it? Are you yeah, going on four? Wow. Going on four. And I believe the success, whatever it is that we're experiencing right now, is because we are so on top of cost containment racing. And there are a lot of series out there that aren't addressing problems uh, that are then beginning to eat the deal from the inside out. You know what I'm saying? Because mm-hmm. guys just can't afford all the odd men, you know, expenses, whether it was the oxygenated fuel, we do not allow stack springs, pneumatic bump stops, uh, you know, these new booster carburetors that are out. None of that stuff's permitted in rush because, you know, it all costs money and, you know, racing's, uh, you know, obviously expensive as it is, but you can come to any of my rush events and I promise you my racing will be as good as anything in the country, door-to-door racing. I think we had 14 out of 17 different touring winners last year, uh, and they don't need oxygenated fuel. And I made my decision on that four years ago uh, with Sunoco race fuels. Um, we run a spec Sunoco 110, a Rush 91 pump gas, uh, which is, you know, like a pump gas derivative, but it's always the same so we can tech it. And, you know, guys up here at the time, several years ago, they were paying almost $800 a drum for oxygenated fuel. And uh, so you take that out of the equation, you know what I'm saying? And honestly, I probably had three or four guys raise a little cane about it, but the majority were happy about it because, you know, they're they're not going to do it. They don't need, you know, these stack springs. I mean, again, they say, well, it's just two springs. Well, that's true. It is just two springs times how many different combinations of springs, you know, do they need a pneumatic bump stop? Do they need that extra cost in that booster carburetor? And I'm telling you, that's what's hurting crate racing uh, in some respects, you know, and why some of them are not, you know, aren't growing, that they're starting to decline. Well, you know, they got to get a handle on some of that stuff. I mean, I, I mean, I see what you're doing and I just think it's phenomenal. And, and I think it's really cool how you, I mean, you'll just stand up and just make a decision and be like, the decision's made. I mean, we're, we're done. Like you're either on board with me or you can move along. And I respect that. And I think, I think I'm blessed in the fact, Kate, that I think I'm able to do that because I have a tremendous group of promoters from Mm -hmm. top to bottom. I mean, again, these people pretty much are putting it in our hands. And as long as I can keep, 
you know, showing positive things at their racetracks, I tell them, I can't make any decisions unless you guys back me. And we're all trying to do this for the racer because, you know, we just want to keep them racing. We want to keep them racing. The track's healthy. And, and they pretty much, they they let us do it. And when I have that confidence that when we make them decisions, I don't have to worry, well, this track's afraid to do that or that. They're saying, go ahead and do it. You just come in and then, but then I'll come in and tech it. Mm-hmm. You know, Travis and I will come in there and it's not fun at 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night pulling fuel samples when you want to get in the truck and go home. You know what I mean? But oh, yeah. if I'm going to spec a fuel and make sure they're not running oxygen jaded fuel, then I promise you we're going to tech it. You know what I mean? Just like obviously, like you say, people do tires, but you know, you know, we put rules in place. We got to tech it, you know, and uh, that's probably one of the most important things we've done to continue forward momentum is uh, control that fuel. Now, a lot of them will say, we don't allow oxygenated fuel and blah, 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 blah. But are they out there checking it? You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. No, I agree. And and I actually have this because I am anti-cheating. You know that. But at the same right. time, there's there are different rules and, around the country. So not everything I sell is always going to be legal and all of that. But but my, but right. I, one thing I right. do say is if you don't tech it, it's not a rule. Oh, I just like, yeah, I like to give the example of like, you were driving down a highway and it says 55 miles an hour, but we're nobody's going to check it for the next three miles. Is anybody going to go 55? (laughs) You know, so, so that's, that would be my example of that. And we're very proud of our um, teching procedure. You know, I would put my chain of custody form up and the way that we do the fuel sampling and the tire sampling against anything in the country. I have a great attorney, Ken McGuire, that I retain. He is a racer himself from the state of New York and the Modifieds up there. Wow. Great guy. He's been with me for several years and helps me with rules. And, and Ken will sell you. We're not here to throw the racer out. You know what I mean? We're mm-hmm. just trying to keep things fair and we're very proud of the fact that when we do our sampling our you know fuel and tire etc we are probably one of the only series in the country that gives the racer back their own sealed sample so the original sample that we send into you know blue ridge or to sunoco or wherever we're sending it that goes our racer the second sample in the sealed evidence bag they get to take one home And then I take a third in the event we need that for whatever reason. But if there is an issue, our racers have their own sample that they can send into the same lab that was taken at the same time to to protect them, too. I'm looking out for them, you know. You absolutely are, because I've heard some kind of negative stories on, on, there have been some situations where it's just kind of shocking. And then there's just that one sample and... And there's no recourse for it. You know, there's there's no way right. to race. I, I mean, we've got either. a chain of custody form. Everybody's signing off, you know, the numbers they're getting. I mean, we put a lot of time and it, you know, and we've tweaked it over the years also, you know, and uh, but that's what I'm I really like working with Ken because he is a racer and he understands, you know, and he like he says, he says, we're not here to throw the guy out. And if there is an issue. I'm calling the guy and saying, hey, you, you better send your sample in, you know, because this ain't looking too good, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and then maybe, God forbid, if that sample go down and it, who knows, what if it did show something different? Guess what? 
I have a third sample here that we can still send into, and then we'll be, you know, then we're making the decision, period. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Then you'll (laughs) get it all, get it all done. That's, that's great. Now, I mean, there's all, with all the drama that's in racing, has that ever really ever pushed against you or made you even consider being out or, you know, how has that affected you, just all the drama that's in racing? There is a lot of, I mean, I don't want to say a lot. I mean, when we first started to develop crate racing in the Northeast, obviously there was a lot of pushback, you know, because back then it's been 13 years now, believe it or not, oh, wow. since we started working on this deal up here. Wow. And then open racing was very healthy and, you know, blah, 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 blah. You know, they're trying to do away. With, and, and I love all racing, you know, but I... I feel what's helped me develop my program is I, you know, I was a car owner with my father for all them years. I owned a racetrack. So I understand both sides. And I just had a gut feeling at the time that it was, it was going to, you know, this concept was going to be needed. So I'm thankful that we started so many years ago and, uh, you know, we took all that flack at the time, you know, we were not the most popular people, but I was blessed. I had four tracks help me get going back then. And I told Mike Leone, who's been with me for 20 years, as you know, he works in the office with me. He just keep your head down. I says, this is right. You know, this is, it's just an option. I try to tell people rush is a basket, a great big basket. We're not here to, you know, hope you can't op- run your open motor, but if you can or, yeah. Young kids are coming up and their parents can't afford to get them. I says, drop in this basket, you know, fill mm-hmm. this basket up. That's all. And uh, so we take a lot of, I, I, there is at times a lot of that. It, it can be stressful, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But, you know, sometimes it just gives me more incentive to uh, work harder, to grow it more. And, uh, again, I'm not here to hurt racing. I'm here to just, you know, that's at my age now, I've had been involved with a very successful race team. I got to own a racetrack for 11 years. At my age, my satisfaction in racing comes now from keeping people racing. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That makes me happy now. I don't need to own a car. I don't need to own a racetrack. It makes me happy to say, well, you know, look, this guy's racing. Maybe he's racing because of rush. You know what I mean? Maybe, maybe he could keep racing. Look at that young kid there. Maybe he got to get in a race car because of rush. Oh wow, that that's powerful. That's got to make you sleep well at night. Just when they're beating me up on the internet and social media, that's what I got to keep focused on. <laughs> well, yeah, that's well, that is that is definitely the truth. There's there's plenty of that out there. I mean, and what do you think? You know, what is your take on social media? I mean, is positive, negative? What's your kind of take on it and the the role of social media in I racing? Think- I think I often wish that we had social media to promote Mercer Raceway when we were physically out doing it the old old school way. Mike and I often say, boy, if we could have promoted the racetrack like we did then we, uh, and then have social media on top of that, how great would that have been, you know? But uh, at the other on the other side of that, I, I think social media it can be really a bad thing. I think it's driven a lot of good people out of racing that aren't strong enough to – you know, it'll, it'll eat you, you know, you, it'll, it'll rip your heart out and it's ripped mine out a lot of times, but, and then you can't get back on there and respond because that's what they want you to do. So you just got to keep swallowing it and swallowing it until you get through it or it goes away and know that whatever they're, you know, complaining about, you have a clear conscience. 
but there's a lot of people that I know it's, it's just, they've just thrown their hands up and they've just quit. And it's because of social media and message boards and things like that. And it's sad. It is sad because I agree with you that I think it's, it, we, there's never been a better time in the history of, of anything to be a business owner because of what is right there in front of us. But yeah, I mean, it's like, right. it's really great or it can be evil too. And, and I hate to see the evil yeah. side. It just, it just sucks. Hurtful. Yeah. And, and it doesn't have to be that yeah. way. I just hey, think it's I, nice. And I don't care if everybody, if somebody's mad at me, you know what I mean? But you know, I call me up. Say, mm-hmm. hey, this is BS, blah, 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 blah. And guess what? I say, well, how about I meet you at 6 o'clock? I'll buy you dinner. Let's, let's get through this. Let's, let's talk face-to-face with me. You know, tell me what I'm doing wrong. Tell me what I did wrong. Maybe I can fix it. I don't know, you know. But don't get on there and, and say these things, where, you know, because I won't get on there and come back at them because I think that a lot of people, that's what they want you to do, you know. Oh, yeah. I'll just pick up the phone. I mean, it's a, I'll do the same thing, right. you know, whether right. whether I'm mad, whether I'm mad about something or if I'm the target of something, I'm I'm definitely a one. I just hit it head on. Um, and because, you know, being right. a keyboard warrior. But, you know, back to the positive piece of what we were talking about with with um, with your series. One thing, too, that you've done. And of course, you're probably not the only one that's ever done kind of a rookie thing. But tell us about your Futures Cup. Oh, I think we were probably in crate racing the first to do it. I mean, I, I don't, again, I don't remember it. My, you know, I see a lot of them do it now. But, you know, I guess I was just amazed many years ago when, you know, being around racing my whole life that, you know, I would uh, be watching one of our events and I'd start seeing these kids, you know, start running door to door with veterans and, and just different things. And uh, so at that time we developed the futures cup, you know, and, uh, and it, it showcases our kids, you know, and there's a specific set of rules for it. And there's a small point fund per division for it. And, and um, so it was just something to make them feel special, you know, but they deserved it because uh, I kind of feel old because some of them same kids that were in my original futures cup have developed into some of the most badass crate late model racers in the country, you know, and, uh, you know, the Max Blairs, the Mike Peggers, and, and them kind of guys come up through our ranks, you know. Oh, wow. Wow. And then the Futures Cup, what is the age range? Is it, what, 13 to 16 or something like that? For... Yeah, I think it's 17. It's okay. like 13 to 17. or in the, And they can have, once they get two years of experience, then they, or if they win the Futures Cup, it kicks them out of the program, you know, then they move on just, you know, I mean, they, and at the same time, the finishes that they're getting uh, are also going into our weekly point funds and, you know, all the different point funds that are available to our weekly members, those finishes are falling into those other categories, but, you know, also into the Futures Cup point fund. Well, and I love the broader concept of it, too, is, is we really get concerned about just kids in general aren't as interested in even driving, let alone racing. You know, they want to be kind of glued to screens. And <laughs> here's, you know, you're bringing in this younger generation and being active about it, not talking about it, but doing it. And I, I love seeing that. Um, what yeah. other question for you now? Yeah. But what about now you've, of course, owned a race car and all these different things. Have you ever wanted to race yourself and be a driver? Never. Not one time. And I know that is the oddest thing. I've never had the desire to drive a race car. <laughs> I think originally because, you know, our cars did quite well. And, you know, we were going there to win them races. And, and I was focused on that. You know what I mean? And uh I just never did. I just never had that desire. Now, with that said, 
we sure do have some awesome female racers up here. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, just tremendous. I think we were the we got two sisters up here that have both won features in our modifieds, our Northeast style modifieds, the Craigish sisters, uh, both on a big five eights and a and Pittsburgh's monster half mile. You know, and uh, they're they. I mean, we we just had a lot of great women come up through too. Wow, it just it feels like your series it just really reaches just all all demographics. I mean, as far as it's men and women and it's young people and veterans and everybody is welcome and they have this level playing field to play on. And it is. And then, you know, we we surround that with our manufacturer nights where this year we'll give away over $150,000 of actual product to our racers. And the beauty of that is on them particular nights, we do one for every division that we have. And it doesn't matter if you're the top guy in the Rush Crate Late Models or the, you know, a guy that just started or a young a young kid. They're going to come to them events if they choose to do so, and they're going to all walk out of there with, with something that's valued at a minimum of $300 all the way up to possibly a Lincoln Welder or an $1,800 set of TBM brakes, or and it just goes on and on. So, again another program that we've developed to make everybody feel that they get something you know what I mean I want them to you know yeah it's it's like hey race with me and you get sponsorship too you know it's I mean that's pretty incredible right. I, don't, I don't really know you well and really that what is, it is true and then you go above the I mean you know these great companies that are backing our efforts you know uh you know, we just put the press release out. Performance Bodies and Parts just joined us. Landrum Spring that. just upped their situation with us. And and these these companies are giving us tens of thousands of dollars of actual product to give to our racers because they realize that our concept is keeping guys out there at a grassroots level, which is good for them. You know, these mm-hmm. guys then can purchase their products and so forth and so on. So I think that's why as we grow, we're able to continue to grow everything we're doing because these people understand that we're, we're just trying to keep cars at the racetrack, cars on the track that they can sell parts to, you know, just, yeah. it just all works together. It's really amazing. It's a huge ecosystem and we all need each other in order to, to continue to survive right. and thrive. And so I think it's uh, just once again, I just don't have a great response with then That's just amazing. You know, it's great. This episode of the Racing Insiders podcast is brought to you by CrateInsider.com, the leading source for racers to find tech tips and parts for Chevrolet Performance 602, 604, and CT525 engines. Visit them online at CrateInsider.com. Now, what would be one, I mean, looking back, I mean, especially back to when you were a little kid, is there any one particular favorite memory that you have with your dad and racing? We ran a six-cylinder Ford uh, against mostly all open like V8 powered cars, whether it was like a semi-late or whatever. And uh, there was nothing like going with him. He was so proud, obviously, of his race car, but he liked to be different. And there was nothing more different than competing with that six-cylinder Ford against MV8s. And uh, and winning major races, major uh, multiple track championships, uh, both he and his almost all his drivers are Hall of Fame members now. And there there's just was no feeling like that, you know, to remember, you know, how excited he got, you know, to to see that. And uh, 
you know, there was a lot of big races, you know, uh, that, that we won with that six cylinder and you just, I can't even describe to you how proud and excited he was, you know, and, and I think back to, you know, and then come the following week, the racing papers would come and, and again, he couldn't read, write or spell. And he'd say, read that to me, read that to me, you know, and I'd read and I went with him in mm-hmm. the truck. He towed the car and I was with him. And, uh, and of course, coming into this year, you know, at Lernerville this year in conjunction with Lernerville and World of Outlaws, uh, big firecracker event, which is one of the country's premier super late events. Uh, I am just so blessed to have the Billy Mink Memorial there this year be a 10,000 to win show. And boy, I just, it's just amazing. I remember the first night we ever pulled in Lernerville in 1978 with that six cylinder Ford and, uh, people were probably there, you know, they could never believe, always wondered why, you know, whatever. Well, that year, the car finished second in points at Lernerville and won the other two sister tracks track championships against the V8s. And uh, so, you know, I think our car is still the fifth winningest car six now, I think, at Lernerville. So to bring that Bill Emig Memorial, and, and it will be the richest ever crate late model race in the Northeast in Canada, back to Lernerville, it's going to be a big deal, you know. Oh, wow. And what a fantastic way to honor his memory and just put it all together in in one big package, right. you know, like every bit of it, the the owning a car and it the is. track. And like, I always say life comes full circle, they say, boy, it sure did. It's going to this year, <laughs> you know, so. Absolutely. Now, what do you see on the horizon, especially with, with crate late model racing or, or any kind of racing, really? You know, what, what, what's, what are you seeing in your crystal ball? I do think that, you know, crate racing is going to continue to, to grow and flourish, providing, you know, you can, you know, you can keep your thumb on it, you know, keep it cost contained because that was the original, you know, the funny thing of it is, you know, when it started, the whole deal was, well, you know, we're controlling the cost of the engine, which everybody definitely did, you know, mm-hmm. with the programs that they've put in place. But now once the racers realize that, that was pretty much under control and, and this and that, obviously, as is a racer, you know, they start looking <laughs> for other ways to to do things. And, and that's why it's so important to keep your thumb on all them other items, you know, whether it's fuel, suspension, and just all them things. So as long as people keep their keep a watchful eye on cost, I think it, the sky's the limit. I just think it's going to it it's already snowballing. I just think it, it's it's just going to just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, and and I'm I'm right there with you. That's the trend I'm seeing as well. Now, is there anything else you would like our listeners to know about you or about Rush that uh, we haven't covered? <laughs> yeah, I know that sounds like an awkward question. question. Well, <laughs> well, if there's a racer out there listening, you know, I mean. Like I say, our programs can go anywhere. If, if a track called me in California and says, we want to rush sprint cars out there, you know, I'd be on a plane as quick as I could to go out and show them the program, explain to them why it's working here. I mean, it doesn't matter where. I mean, again, I think we've got great programs for any type of racer who wants to run a sprint car or modified, you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, so, I mean, you know, I'm always looking to grow and and to bring bring everything that I've developed with all these great people, you know, to other people that maybe maybe need this concept somewhere. Yeah, because I think there are some areas of the country that could definitely definitely that they're suffering, that are struggling and love to see you come in there and help them out. Yeah. So, well, I know there are a lot of places to find you online. 
um, but you have a number of websites, and of course, I'll have links. But what's probably your main main place to find like Rush online? Well, that would be a Mike Leanne quite RushLateModels.com, okay. I guess, yeah. would be the easiest way. Mm-hmm. And then the beauty of that is once you get to the RushLateModels.com, right there, you're going to be able to move around to all of our different division sites, you know, whether it's the sprint cars, you know, the whatever. I mean, you can go back and forth from each and every site. Well, great. And is there information there for potential for tracks who might potentially want to contact you? I'm assuming that's well, all there as well. Yeah, I mean, obviously, they can look over our program there. It's the websites are, you know, they're very complete as far as information. But the best thing they can do if there's any interest anywhere is just simply give me a call, call the office. And uh, we have a lot of materials that you know, that I then send out. It's not just, well, here's our rules and here's this. I mean, I think we've built enough different things about Rush and, uh, you know, testimonials, articles. And and I always say the the best thing I got going for me is my promoters, say, and my sponsors and my racers. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I want people to talk to any of those three categories. And, uh, and then if, if they're getting good response and give me a call and uh, let's see if we can bring this program to them. I love it. Well, Vicki, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It's it's great to know you in person. Of course, looking forward to seeing you again this fall. And, um, and just thank you for being here. And I look forward to talking to you soon. Well, I've enjoyed it. So I'm always a talker. You know, I don't like my picture taken. I know you wouldn't do video. <laughs> but I'm a good talker. You're, you're part of my inspiration for why I had to do a podcast. It was like there you were like first five on my list is like, okay, who can I interview for my podcast? Oh, won't do video Vicki. I won't. Do- <laughs> so I I'm, I'm so glad, <laughs> so glad to bring, that, yeah, so, was, yeah, but I'm a talker. So, well, yeah. I, I love it. And I'm so glad to bring, bring your voice in, you know, you just have so much to offer and, and I hate to see it not be presented just because I just do a lot of video. So I'm glad we could do this and glad we right. could sit down and, and, uh, right. and talk. So, so thanks again and good luck to you this season. Okay. And, uh, yeah, well, we'll be talking to you soon. You've been listening to the Racing Insiders Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Check out the show notes and past episodes at www.racinginsiderspodcast.com. Again, that's www.racinginsiderspodcast.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes. This episode of the Racing Insiders Podcast is an exclusive production solely for the private non-commercial use of our listening audience. Any publication, reproduction, or retransmission without the express written consent or permission of Kate Dillon and Wesley Outland is restricted and prohibited.